This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for January 21st, 2020. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels, and I'm very glad you're here. Today I'm talking to David Galindo, who you may know from his early indie work like The Oil Blue and The Sandbox of God, but who you more likely know from the Cook Serve Delicious series. Those games that, according to the very unscientific poll I just did, are mainly known as those cooking games that aren't overcooked. They are very different from the Overcooked games, whereas Overcooked is about sort of navigating a treacherous cartoon kitchen landscape and peg people bumping into each other. The Cook Serve Delicious games are much more about logistics and doing a lot of tasks very quickly. They're more a celebration of the process of actually running a restaurant or, in the case of the new game, running a food truck. There's this sort of Wario-ware-ish vibe where you have to jump from task to task really quickly. I find it really satisfying. These games are hard. David and I talk a fair bit about difficulty and accessibility and approachability and all those sorts of things. I think my only show note is that right at the top I say that David and I met at PAX when in fact we met at GDC. That doesn't really matter to anyone but me, but we are nothing if not voracious about veracity on this here podcast. So anyway, here's David Galindo. Enjoy. So, David Galindo, thank you so much for being here. Um, I, uh, as we were talking about moments ago before we started recording, we met at PAX last year and hit it off, and I've been really excited about the game since then, and uh, also just excited to talk. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've been wanting to do this forever, and yeah, finally got a chance to, oh, just 12 days before my launch, you know, not busy or anything. <laughs> no, not a bit, not a bit. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And it's also like, you just don't do that many interviews these days. Uh, maybe that's about to change as the game comes out, but I'm excited to talk to you because you, you know, you don't have a ton of a paper trail oh, <laughs> and thanks. I think your work's really interesting. So, oh, thank you so I have much. stuff I want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start in the most basic place and then we'll branch out to the more interesting and specific stuff. What is Cook Serve Delicious 3? Oh boy. It is... Uh... <laughs> what is it well gosh it is a so it is a game that was born out of me kind of it's almost as if like because i am the owner of vertigo gaming inc i make Mm -hmm. the decisions of what game are we making next i'm creating them and then i get a bunch of contract artists and people to uh help me make the game but this game felt almost like there was an upper management level above me that was like, you can't make another game without making Cook, Serve, Delicious 3. Because, you know, you got all these art assets. You got a great base to build from with Cook, Serve, Delicious 2. And, you know, in my brain, the business side of me was saying, you can't go on making a new game without making at least a third game. Uh, it just makes sense business-wise. Mm-hmm. And you know, those inner voices were haunting me. And I was like, I don't, I do not want to make a third game. I really don't. And I was, but you had, so, you had an, you had an internal, you had an internal board of directors. I really and, and did they, because, yeah. you know, Cooks Are Delicious 2 was very, uh, it launched kind of bad. It, there was a lot of bugs in the beginning, but we really ramped it up and we did so well that uh, I think Metacritic gave Cooks Are Delicious 2 its 
one of the top 20 games last year, highly highest mm. rated uh, game of last year on the Nintendo Switch. So we really like um, ramped it up from launch. And I was really happy with the way the game turned out. But there was a lot of things where I'm like, gosh, if I could do things differently, but what would I even do? And what is Cookserve Delicious 3, basically? And uh, almost instinctively, I'm like, if I'm going to make a third game, I'm going to make it as bananas as possible. Just, I don't even care anymore because I'm just going to go nuts. I'm going to have fun making this game. I'm going to do crazy things. And that's what I did. I ended up switching over to a story-based campaign with voice acting, which I've never done before. Uh, And it's a completely different kind of model from the last games. I stripped out a ton of stuff from the second game. And basically, it's me kind of going crazy and and not even for a second thinking that there's going to be a fourth game. It's what can I do that will make me, that will challenge me, you know? Because I think... I could have made a Cookster Delicious 3 and just made it a lot like 2. And it would have done fine, and it would have sold fine. And, you know, I, that would have been so boring, and I would have been <laughs> bored out of my mind. Uh, so this and that would have come through in the game. To, Ultimately, it would have come through in the game that you were not as invested, right? If you if you did phone it in, as opposed to leaving it all in the per, the proverbial field, as you're doing right now. I think so. I I think you sense that, because I think people people are, you know, they have that canny ability to be like, well, this was a cash in, you know, big time. And I, uh, my goal was to make this game to where you, you would never think that, like it would be impossible to think that. Um, of course, you have those snide comments in the YouTube section, be like, ah, oh, another game it looks like the same game. But yeah, I mean, if you really look at it, no, it is so not the same game. It's quite different. Well, and I should we should say, Cook Serve Delicious Two is significantly different from Cook Serve Delicious the first, right? In ways that are probably not evident if you haven't actually played them, but in ways that, that matter really deeply to people who do play them. Like there, there are people who like there are very split opinions as to whether one or two is more someone's jam, you know, because they do play quite differently, even though the core mechanics are basically the same or or at least very similar right like the core idea is the same but the approach is very different in all three games you know they're they're not simply the same game with more content or something you know or or even an iterative sequel in the traditional sense of all the same stuff plus more you always sort of subtract as well as adding and you always refocus you know so it's it's not as though the first two are of a piece and now the third one comes out of nowhere you've always wanted to do something different with each one of these i think and I think it makes it kind of cool because there was a game that I played on Switch. It was uh, SteamWorld Dig 2, and I didn't play the first one. And the second one was so amazing. I loved it. And I'm like, I should play the first one. And everybody was like, well, the second one is basically the first, but 20 times better. You're, you're not really, there's nothing, there's no reason to go back to the first one is what I've heard. Whether or not that's true or not, I'm not sure. But I think it's super cool that I can be like, you know what? All three games are so different that there's always going to be somebody that has a favorite and it's going to be a different one. Yeah, for sure. I would say with the SteamWorld Dig games, it's it's more like you should only go back to the first one if you were really, really into the second one. Like if you're only going to play one, the second one is probably the more polished and the more refined yeah. and whatever. But if you're if you're really, really into it, I think the first one is worthy. I, I think of it similarly to like I played Nier Auto- Automata, which a lot of people played. And I loved it so much I went back and played the previous Nier. And it was, you know, it's a lot jankier and it's older. Oh, sure. uh, it's so, but that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile or that I wish I'd played 
the quote-unquote inferior one first. It just means it's like, it's advanced studies, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think the Quick Serve Delicious games have sort of a different relationship where, like, I think when people suggest starting with the first, it's more just because the first is is easier in some ways. I think the, the second Quick Serve Delicious and the, and the third are pretty demanding, right? Like, they have a high... You've talked a bit about how partly because you want to get people into the mechanics with trial by fire and partly because you're making a point about how hard, you know, service jobs are. <laughs> oh, sure. They there's the full expectation that you'll fail at first and then get better, which is which is a little less true in the first one and I think, you know, not that true in most games generally. You know, there there tends to be a more gentle introduction and I sort of love that your games recently <laughs> don't have that. Yeah, I so the third one we're making a point to gradually ramp up the difficulty. Um but the beta testers and I'm not sure if you had this uh, opinion, but it starts off crazy and it just goes crazy. <laughs> it does. And it does. To, does it? Oh, no. <laughs> well, well, so it's, I mean, way less than two. I think two I failed Good. harder, faster. But, but I, you know, I mean, I, I failed the first mission the first time, the first mission, the first level, the, the tutorial. I failed the tutorial in three. <laughs> but partly that was because I'm a crazy person and I play with a controller and I was getting back used to the controls. Oh, sure. Um, I, I, I got play, so into, honestly. I got so, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think you said on this Actronics podcast, which I'll link to, that a relatively small number, I think a very small number of people play with a controller was like less than 20%, I believe. Um, but I that's, like it yeah. that way, partly because I've played so much co-op on the Switch. I didn't know that's how you played. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love the controller. And if I'm not using a controller, I'm using a mouse. I never mm -hmm. use a keyboard. <laughs> well, with a keyboard, it's almost like a roguelike where like every ingredient has its own key binding and stuff. And like to, to I can see if you memorize those, it could be really effective. But the controller, it's a little more positional. It's like looking at something on a screen and the same button always indicates the same like level of menu item. So it's a little easier to switch recipes for me anyway. It does make it a completely different game, really. And I have a really nice uh, beta testing group that are just focused specifically on key binds for every food. And one guy has a spreadsheet that's pages and pages of hundreds and hundreds, maybe even at close to a thousand keybinds uh, for the <laughs> entire game. It's it's a uh, it's super <laughs> super crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it, a point is being made in the game by that, though, right? Like it's it's um. I almost think of it like Papers, Please. If it's a mouse game, it's a very demanding mouse game, right? And it's making a point that a kind of labor you maybe don't value or think about that much is actually quite difficult. and <laughs> It requires you to think quickly and, and all of that, right? Like it's, oh, yeah. It's about elevating the, the craft of what you're doing. It isn't even so much a celebration of food as like a celebration of logistics of like the, I, th I think you've said in other interviews that you're not even that into cooking. You're really into watching people cook and sort yes. of the, the drama and the process and, you know, Iron Chef and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. uh, I pretty much nailed it. Like I, I just love the whole process of cooking and that's always been a favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah. And so like in this game, I don't know how much you want to talk about the plot. Um, or if you want people to be completely gobsmacked and surprised, but, but a cooking contest is involved, but also yes. it's when, when you say it's, it's out there, the first two cook serve deliciouses have, I think sort of a satirical bent, but it's easy to miss them. You know, like if you're not reading your email and stuff like that, you might miss that it's, it is sort of a commentary on the difficulty of running a restaurant under, under late stage capitalism and whatever <laughs> that stuff is kind of front and center in three, because you're running a food truck in like near future America and you're trying to get to a cooking contest, but along the way you're like getting shot at by other <laughs> food trucks and stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty out there, but it, but it feels um, something else you've said is that the game shouldn't know it's funny. I think you said that in reference to Cook, Serve, Delicious too. Yes. And this just seems like such a great example of that. Like there's, there's something to the idea that life goes on and people keep making churros, even, <laughs> even when food trucks need armor and guns. 
Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you'd never want to point out the absurdity of anything um, because then <laughs> yeah. that just makes it not funny or not absurd. Then you're like, oh, then you're just being silly. And that suddenly this isn't interesting anymore. But um, I think we kind of, it's, it's kind of crazy because the second game hinted to that a little bit with the emails. You didn't really know that it was anything but a normal world until you read the emails and you found out you were in the future and that there was an apocalypse happening and like all this stuff was happening in the emails and we were basically amusing ourselves. Like we had no intention of making a third game in this way. Um, and so when I did make, started making the third game, I thought, well, we have this just crazy amount of lore. And if I don't tap into this, when am I ever going to use this kind of lore again that we've built? And, uh, we kind of just took it from there. Honestly, it, we took the foundations from the second game and created this storyline, uh, which basically starts with, uh, the chef. He's in a building in the Tarragon tower from the second game with his world famous restaurant, uh, gets blown up by artillery fire. And there's two search and, uh, recovery robots named Whisk and Cleaver. Uh, they're voiced by, voiced by, uh, Nega Oryx and, uh, Havana Mahoney. And, they find you in the rubble, pretty much the only survivor, and they get the idea to turn their search and recovery vehicle into a food truck. And from there, the plot just kind of continues. And it was so much fun. Like, uh, usually I kind of have a hand in writing. Uh, the second game, maybe I wrote 10, 20%. The first game I wrote like 80% of it. Uh, the second game, maybe 10 to 20%. And this game may be like 2%, if that. Like, I basically handed it over to the two writers on the project, uh, Nicholas Crack and, and Ryan uh, Majewska, and um, told them, you know what, I trust y'all. Let's write a script and, and just go nuts. And it turned out really just, I think it's really good. I've been really enjoying it. I, I will say I don't have a full picture of the plot because the beta build that you sent me does have an incredibly charming. Is it okay if I say this? I can sure. cut it out if you don't want yeah, people to sure. know, but I won't share the actual things, but I will let you know that if, if, you know, those of us who played the game in beta heard you describing what we would be seeing if the finished cutscenes were in, in an extremely charming fashion. Um, <laughs> so I, so I maybe, I don't, I don't know too much about the texture of the story yet, you know, especially as regards Whisk and Cleaver and all of that stuff. But what I can appreciate immediately is that, yeah, it takes all of that stuff that's very much in the margins of Cook, Serve, Delicious, too. The, the stuff about just the world going strange around you while you're stuck in Tarragon Tower running your restaurant. Not stuck, but while you're while you're relatively, you know, centrally located, you know, customizing oh, sure. your restaurant and all that. It takes what was going on in the world outside and runs with it. It's like, OK, well, what if you had to take your craft out there? And it, it, it the way that it runs with it, the way that it... Like, it, it feels like a lived-in world. It doesn't feel like just a goof where it's like, you know, it just, here's an absurd concept. It's a food truck with, you know, iron bars and armor and whatever. It actually seems relatively thoughtful uh, about what the world is like out there. I think the the writing comes through in that way. They, uh, it, it really surprised me. I, uh, I was pretty much hands-off on the whole writing process um, because I trust them at this point. And that allows me to just go full speed ahead in, in uh, programming the game. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it was weird because I didn't know what they were doing. And I'm like, hey, can I take a look at the scripts when, whenever y'all get a chance? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I almost felt bad for asking them. I'm like, I was giving them deadlines and I'm like, I'd like to see what you got. And I could tell they didn't really want to be like, they didn't want to give it to me so soon. <laughs> like, I'm just assuming this, that I could be totally wrong. But uh, once I finally read it, I'm like, this is amazing. I can't believe y'all did. 
And so I know I'm hyping it up a lot, honestly, and I can do that because I didn't have any hand or involved. I wasn't involved in it. So it's my first time really working with a script and working with uh, voice act actors. And um, it was such an incredible experience, uh, just everything around it. And to have voice acting in the game, um, it's been a treat to see the feedback so far, which has been positive, very positive. People love uh, the robots telling them what a good job they're doing. And uh, I made sure it was tempered because I didn't want that so much because no matter what kind of voice acting you have, it'll get old if you use it too much. Um, so there's a fine line between like having it sparse and having it um, play appropriately, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, it really, uh, sort of not, I'm going to avoid food metaphors as much as possible because they're tempting <laughs> with a game about food, but you know, the, the spice in the stew or whatever is that the robots are, uh, withholding in their praise in some ways that the cook serve delicious games always are anyway. You know, it's got that thing where you need to have a perfect day to get a gold medal. Like if, you know, one thing is, is later burnt or, or not fresh or whatever, you get a silver. So you can have what you consider a pretty good day with one screw up and the, you know, the robot says you did fine. And you're like, yeah. oh, Oh man, it just, it makes you want to go back and, you know, it's, it's, it, it reflects the tone of the game rather than just being slapped on top. I think that's when voice acting gets old, not just when it's repetitive, though that can uh. be a thing, but also when it, when it feels out of nowhere, it feels like, oh, there just needed to be a line here. So there's a line here. It's not, you know, it doesn't come from the same emotional place or something. Everything kind of feels of a piece in this game. That's an interesting point. I, I didn't really think about it like that. And it feels more, it, because it does feel like you're a team. Um, usually when you get voiceover stuff like that, it's like the sergeant telling you, you know, go go here, trooper, and all <laughs> this stuff. Hold the line, Rodriguez. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this, is, I guess, is, is different in a way because, you know, all three of you are basically working together. And uh, they care whether or not you make it because they are part of your team. And it, it is a, a neat dynamic. And we like to play into that kind of. Yeah, it's such a simple mechanic, but, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of food ready to go out, you can, if you're playing with a controller like you and I do, you can just sort of flick the right stick and then the robots serve it. And it's like, you know, that's when they say like, you know, got it, chef or whatever. And it's like that moment, you really do feel like you've teamed up. It's it's delightful. That, that feels really good because, you know, if you had to go down the list and, and serve each thing individually, you'd be staring down the barrel of seconds you don't have. So <laughs> and that's, that, that was one moment. of the main issues that we had was uh, it was impossible with a controller at the mm. very start of the game. Uh, when we were making it and I thought, well, I'm, I'm totally hosed. I don't know what I'm going to do. Now. <laughs> and so I came up with this idea of serving all instantly uh, like that. And it worked so nice and I loved it. And um, so as we were showing it off, I didn't really attribute it to anything. I just thought this is a new gameplay mechanic. Check it out. And one person said, oh, it's like the robots are helping you. That's cool. And I'm like, mm. yeah, that is cool. That's exactly <laughs> That's ex what I thought of. Good point. <laughs> and so I just took and ran with that. And, and yeah, that was that was amazing. Like as soon as they said it, it clicked. I'm like, oh wow, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, it makes a it makes a visceral sense, right? And that and that's something that um those who thought that Cook Serve Delicious Two wasn't as good or whatever, I loved it to be clear. But oh, people who people who didn't like it as much as the first, I think one of the things they missed was that the first one, partly because it has fewer foods and you could do this, is a bit more gestural. Like the the each individual dish or thing or whatever is more specific. I always think of the early example of like 
if you're playing with a controller, you hold down the left stick to pour a beer and you have to hold it down just enough that it fills up but doesn't overflow and whatever. Partly just because of the gigantic scope of the number of foods in the second game, there's less of that. And having stuff like flicking all the orders out and all of that, just like something as simple as that, to me brings a little bit of that back to the third game. It's it's a little more reminiscent of um, the the uh, the Japanese game that I believe was originally your inspiration. Uh, The uh, it was called Ori no Ori. Is that what it was called? Ori. Yeah. 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 I like you experienced that purely as a demo on a PlayStation disc and have never hunted down the original. I don't know if it's still true that you've never hunted down the full game. I know in other interviews you've said you made the first two games without having done so, but. Yeah, I only played the demo, and I feel like that's all I needed to play. Because the last yeah, thing yeah. I want is to be taking any more <laughs> ideas, you know? Totally. Yo, it's like how if you're a songwriter, the worst thing you can do is listen to a bunch of Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen. Because then you're just going to write <laughs> shitty Bob oh, Dylan yeah. and Leonard Cohen songs. You know? <laughs> you know, to your point, though, I, I totally get people who like the first one. You know, with the second one, I thought, well, I got to go big. And I made like 300 foods or something like that. And the thing about that is... So in the first game, there was like 30 foods or so, and you can make a burger and it seems unique and original in the first game. In the second game, if I have 10 different kinds of burgers, there's only so many different ways you can, you know, throw a bean patty on the grill or a meat patty on the grill or a chicken patty on the grill, and it feels repetitive. Um, And I get why people didn't like the way that felt. And, you know, I thought when I made the second one and I got those negative reviews at the launch, I thought, wow, I made a huge mistake. I shouldn't have gone so hard in in making this gigantic catalog of foods. But had I not done that, the third game wouldn't exist because Mm -hmm. I feel like with the second game, I, I know for a fact that people didn't play all the way through. And so they maybe experienced half of the foods. So in this game, I was able to go in with the idea of people having even played the second one if you played it not even close to experiencing all the content it had and that'll make this one a lot more fresh um i think and was uh, i was able to play around with the dynamics a lot more yeah no it's it's very satisfying and what, what i think it locks in the best of any of the three is the idea of curating your menu not even necessarily for the level you know although you do have like a a somewhat limited range of things you can pick sometimes but more about like thinking about prep styles and like well okay i'm gonna fry three things so i can just have those going and you know in my in my my three stations and then i'm gonna have one salad that i can make right before i get to the stop because salads of course don't stay fresh very long like it's (laughs) it, it really that kind of not quite meta thinking, but just like thinking a couple of steps ahead is really rewarded in this game. Like if, if like me, you find um, a dish where someone can order specifics, like, you know, toppings on a hot dog, an order of magnitude harder than other stuff, <laughs> then you can just have one or two of those on your menu and keep stuff easy. If those are not that hard for you, but multi-step is hard for you, you can avoid that. It's, uh, it, it's almost, it almost reminds me of like Supergiant a little bit, <laughs> like the food point system, the way that in their games you can pick how you want it to be hard. You can say, well, I want enemies to do more damage or I want them to be faster or whatever. Here yeah. you can sort of pick what sort of difficult food you're up for on a given menu because there's sort of a point system. So even though the levels are demanding, you can sort of curate in what way they're demanding. And to and me, that's, that's yeah. very satisfying. I love going in the direction of making your own fun in a way. Uh, if you go too far in that direction, um, it's bad. <laughs> there are sure. plenty of games where it's like, what do I do? Well, you can do anything. Well, that that's no fun for me. Like, I hate those kind of games. <laughs> but yeah, like, you're totally right. I didn't expect that level of 
making making it making the difficulty the way you want. Uh, that actually wasn't my intention, but as soon as it got into beta testing, I found out people were playing it that way. And one uh, one person was saying, uh, "Gosh, this level's too hard. I can't beat it." And one guy was saying, "Well, you have all these hard foods on your menu. Well, I'm not going to change it." <laughs> but they could have easily put like super easy foods and beat the level and gotten a gold. But sure. they were trying to climb this mountain and they were getting rewarded for it because if you put higher level foods on there, you get more experience, more money. Uh, and that's, that's super fascinating to me as a game designer because very few games, they allow you to customize and stuff, but very few games allow you to put difficulty, well, to use another food pun, you know, right on the menu. Like you're <laughs> sure. literally making it as hard as you want. Uh, and you know, certain games have the kind of like difficulty modifiers. Uh, now you can't, you know, uh, reload as fast, you know, all these things like that. But this is more skill based, I think. Yeah, that more granular stuff, because it is down to the individual recipe level. You know, it isn't just do you want like like a traditional, normally easy, normal, hard kind of thing, like the blind choice that, you know, older games and some games still force you to make would look more like, you know, prep is automatic or the second step is automatic across the board. Whereas here it's like, how many foods are you willing to have three steps for and how many foods are you willing to have to get started beforehand and whatever? Yeah, you know, again, like there's a lot of ways in which these games can be hard and getting to decide how much of each one you're you're willing to put yourself through for, for like you say, increased rewards to unlock that sweet, sweet truck skill tree uh, <laughs> is, is, you know, it's to me, it's satisfying because like I, you know, I, I get full of myself and then the game calls my bluff <laughs> when I don't get a medal. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling and it's, and the levels aren't that long. So it's easy enough to just load it up and do it again. It's a it's a neat experience. It's it's cool to to that the game lets me fail, and I usually feel like I learn something by failing. Oh, that's cool. Like I I feel like failing is a very underrated uh, thing. I think we learn that a lot from Dark Souls and Demon Souls and all that. Uh, sure. It feels good to fail sometimes because then you can take all your experiences, and then that's primarily what roguelikes are. Uh, and it's pretty funny because with the second game you go in thinking it's a casual cooking game and you get your ass handed to you pretty much and you don't <laughs> you don't realize it and either you get mad and you don't ever play it again or you get mad and be like well i'm, I'm gonna show this game i'm a i'm a gamer this ain't this, this ain't right and uh <laughs> then you just kind of fall in love with the game i hope and uh that's what it is really it, like you pretty much know instantly if you're gonna like this game or not yeah, the, po the point to me is twofold, right? It's almost like, a, did you play Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy? Oh, yeah, I think it was sure last year. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's that aspect to it, right? A certain kind of player <laughs> is going to say, well, this is funny, but it's not for me. Oh, and sure. a certain kind of player is going to say, fuck this and leave, and that's fine. <laughs> and a, another kind of player is going to say, I'm going to climb this goddamn mountain, right? And it's like, there are certain kinds of games that are for all three and they're just going to drop off at different points but some games are very much for that last category <laughs> and i oh, think sure. that's fine and I, in fact i think it's beautiful um i, I i've talked to a bunch of other de developers though who said that for some players failure is just a very negative experience like there's no yeah. way to make it feel good and i could see yeah. them having a rough time it, it sucks in a way because it means they're missing out on a whole swath of game design because I do think it's important for devs to be able to sort of paint with that color. Like when difficulty can come in a range like that and when failure is on the menu, as you say, all this other stuff becomes possible, all these other emotions. It, and it, I think it comes with age almost because mm. I don't I don't actually know because I think, um, you know, as you get older, you kind of 
enjoy the smaller experiences or enjoy the shorter experiences or you just have just less time do, yeah yeah pretty much and i i don't necessarily want to cater to that but because honestly the second game started off with me being very proud that it was extremely unforgiving i love that mm. and i would market it that way uh i, th I think it was what was it time to dine except <laughs> is how i <laughs> would put some of the promotion stuff <laughs> and that was fun but i would get people that would tell me you know i'm i love your game but it's i can't play it i, I have accessibility issues and mm. um at that point i don't think i was ready to hear that at the launch of the game because my initial reaction would have been well this game isn't for you i'm, I'm sorry i'm not going to compromise you know my difficulty my game you know hearing me even saying that is so stupid but you get in this headspace <laughs> and once and when i had the bad launch uh, reviews at the beginning of cooks are delicious too i was listening to everybody i'm like i'll throw in whatever you want let's get that review score up and i put in that zen mode which relaxed the game a little bit it, it was way more forgiving and people really loved it and i was getting so many thank yous um from people that could finally you know play the game and that opened up my eyes in a big way and from then on i've always uh wanted to put and in this game has like a chill mode uh and you can still fail at it but it makes it significantly easier you can get up to a silver you can't get a gold but you can progress through the entire game uh using that mode and um i it there's nothing wrong with you know you can have that and never touch it if you don't want to and still have this hard ridiculously hard game if you want and get rewarded for it if you go that way uh, but it was also important to make sure that that people weren't missing out if they wanted to relax it a little bit. I don't want to say easier because it's still at its core. It's always going to be a difficult game, but relaxing it in that way, it, it's it opens up the game to a bigger audience. And that's always a good thing. Definitely. Yeah. Chill is exactly the word, right? Because, because the default mode, the, the true cook, serve, delicious experience that <laughs> hardcore fans like me crave <laughs> has no chill fundamentally, right? Like oh, that's, sure. that's sort of the point. You're always juggling too many things and having to pay attention and, and interpret information really quickly. That's sort of the pleasure of the game, but it's both alienating for a certain audience. And as you say, not especially capital A accessible to insist that the game has to be played that way. So I'm, I'm all for yeah. when you can find a solution where for people who want that, it takes nothing away from that hardcore <laughs> cook serve delicious experience oh, sure. for there to be an alternative, which which other people either have to do for, for because of disability or whatever, or simply would prefer because they're not quite as as ready to climb the mountain, so to speak. And we will have a bigger audience coming into this game simply because you know we have uh these two voice actresses that are well they're twitch streamers and they have a big community and i know a lot of them um have never played this game and for a newcomer it it is a hard game <laughs> but you know i um with these modes hopefully if they want to just experience the story and they want to just hear uh, negorix or havana um and the storyline they can easily do that um you know, it, we've come a long way from the Halo difficulty tiers of like, this is the game, this is the way the game is meant to be played. You're like, ugh, just shut up. Like, why even have difficulty if you're going to do that? Like, you're already chastising players to, to choose anything but that. And I'm glad we're moving away from that. Definitely. And thinking more about um, what difficulty can even look like. I, I keep singing the praises of uh, Jedi 
Fallen Order, where uh, they just like rethought what the difficulty even was. You know, the combat is sort of like Sekiro in that. Um, and what the difficulty slider does is it doesn't make enemies boring HP soaks. It makes them more aggressive, and it it changes how much of a window you have to parry them. Oh, like, interesting. Shit like that is really clever. You know, like that's exactly how you would do a Sekiro easy mode. And it changes how much damage they do to you, right? So they can drop you more quickly. But you're not like a lot of a lot of hard modes and action games. You're just chipping away at nine health bars and that's not especially engaging so it's like thinking about why you know not just making it the correct amount of hard but the correct kind of hard is always really interesting to me i think it is it really is i i i find it really fascinating especially in an open-ended game like this um it's easier for me because um we didn't have any levels built um i think as of three weeks ago (laughs) <laughs> like really? no levels yeah and um just before i talked to you i made 50 levels uh in like a couple hours and really all i'm doing and of course you know it didn't take me four hours to make a level it took months to get to where i could take four hours to make a level you know sure. or make make 50 levels i mean um but the the reason that is is because i can just kind of push the player in a direction with each level be, and give them certain foods and be like here you go and, you know, I test some of the levels, but it's mainly me putting, getting a box of stuff and putting it down, you know, basically saying, have fun. And it works in a way because of the way the game's structured and it feels satisfying, especially more so maybe uh, than the second game. Because with the second game, if you go into a day that has a ton of hard foods because you could not change the menu on the second game. Uh, some players would just keep doing it and trying to get gold, uh, and that's satisfying. But I think in this game, it's more satisfying to want to make a hard menu and then getting a gold, and you feel way more accomplished because that was your menu, and you did it. Absolutely, and to go back to an earlier level but max out its difficulty is is a very different kind of challenge because the space of how frequently the orders come in is still very different than a later level than just cranking up whatever level you're on. It's like, it, again, it lets you decide how you would like it to be hard at a given moment. And I've, it's, it, I, I've been really enjoying it. I've been... Oh, thank you. I, I don't feel like I'm grinding because I'm progressing, right? But like I, grinding those levels until I get gold is definitely fun and something I'm going to spend some time on. Uh, <laughs> I can already tell. Um, <laughs> l- let me ask you this. You have been pretty open about the difficulties of CookServe Delicious 2's launch. She wrote an, a series of articles for Gamasutra. Um, do you mind if I ask, has this process been better? Have you? Do you feel like you've gotten into a place where you work a little bit more healthily? Do you feel like you're, you know, you're working, I don't think working badly with collaborators was part of your problem, but like time management, right? Do you feel right. like you've cracked it a little bit and you're in a place where you're, you're, you know, being creative in a more healthy way or not so much or, or something in between? Um, so I have 12 days left until I have to release this game. And the idea that I have 12 days left is beautiful. Like, I can't believe I have that many days. Mm. Like it's, it's insane. Like I am used to having to launching tomorrow. <laughs> like I'm sure. used to the amount of work that I have left to have a one day to do it. Um, I'm your answer a- had not been that I would feel extremely bad about you doing this interview. So I'm glad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I made it a point to give myself plenty of time. And of course I have thoughts of like, man, I wish I had, you know, another month, but that's what the great thing about early access is. It's, it's not so much that I'm going to release a broken game and be like, oh, I'll fix it later. But there's more understanding if I don't have everything that I want in the game day one. Um, I think you can kind of, if, 
if uh, I, I want to ask you, like, do you feel like the game is polished in, in a way that most early access games maybe typically aren't? I do. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels, you know, like, like I, it's an interesting, the way you phrase that, right? Like I don't, I definitely don't play most early access games because there are thousands, yeah, right? Me neither. But when I, when I think, <laughs> I mean, unless you're, unless you're Jim Sterling and you're trying to like goof on the really bad ones on YouTube every week, I don't know, you know, but like when I think of a, an early access game that is, that comes out and I, it's a full game that I would have been comfortable calling released, but I know more is going to get added. Like, you know, again, like to bring it back to our buddy, Zach Barth, like Zachtronics games are always like that. Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely would put it on, on that level. Right. Like it feels oh, very complete. Great. It feels good. Um, I didn't play cook, serve delicious Two right at launch. So I can't sort of compare the state that that was in, but again, I've read about what you, what you thought about. So I, I don't think it's that situation remotely. Sure. It feels like, it feels like a game, a fully fledged game. And I think you're just what you're polishing. You're adding more stuff. Like you said, now that you're at a place where you can add more levels, you're, you're, you're filling out the campaign. That's what it's doing in early access. Fair to say. Yes. Like yeah. pretty much. Um, and I've already gotten a lot of really great cause it's in private beta right now. And, um, they're bringing up a lot of interesting points and yeah, but I have, uh, there was a, a month or two ago where I was pretty stressed out and it was mainly outside things that I didn't really have any control over. Hmm. Um, but as far as stress goes, that was pretty much it. And I'm, if anything, I'm way more stressed because I'm not stressed because I'm like, what am I missing here? Why am I so relaxed? I feel <laughs> You're like waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> I really am. Cause I'm like, is, am I just making a terrible game? And I just don't know it. Like, I don't know. And then I released it in beta and everybody seems to like it a lot. And I'm like, Oh, well, shoot <laughs> like why why am i calm i should be working you know like crazy and i and i am working very hard but it's it's a good feeling it's not like i don't yeah. have enough hours to finish it's more i'm like, really glad to hear that it's i mean i could pose a theory which is that you're good at this i know for me like i have that same psychological trap where i think like if i'm not panicking then it, it must be because i haven't found the thing i should be panicking about yeah and i think you know eventually you you know you're good enough at what you do that you just stop panicking and, and you will and you forgive yourself for not doing so you know and it's going to pay off in a big way because um you know releasing january and like in the past week, there's been like six or 10 games, high profile games that are delayed. Right. And, that's um, true. I'm like, man, what a bunch of cowards. Like, come on. <laughs> I want some kind of competition here. I'm going to be the only one this month. Oh boy. Oh, whatever. Like, like, I did shots fired. You're better at project <laughs> planning than what is it? The, the, the FF seven remake team, the cyberpunk team, uh, animal, yeah. animal they crossing. They want to get away from me. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, that's fine with me. That's, that's more sales for me. I don't care. <laughs> that's all good. That's all good. I mean, you know, that's related because, you know, um, CD Projekt, you know, who 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 was making Cyberpunk and just delayed it very shortly before you and I were talking, they were relatively mm -hmm. open about how, like, you know, yeah, our team is going to crunch really hard between now and Jeez. release, which was potentially a bit tone deaf, maybe yeah. also refreshing in its honesty in a weird way. But, you know, that was yeah. part of what I was thinking of as well, because I think the issue of crunch is an issue with with indies right. especially ones that operate like studios but but even you know small teams or individuals but i think it's different i can't, you can't quite think of it the same way it's it's less it's still like a a problem of project management in a way but sure. it's different you know because i mean like a certain amount of working really hard at a thing in your you know on your own time is what it is to be indie but as i think we've been sort of gesturing at there's a healthy and an unhealthy way to do it and yeah. the unhealthy way takes a toll i mean it was funny when we had the uh when we announced the launch, was it this week? I, I don't even know what day. <laughs> when is it? Who are we? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I did announce it on Tuesday. 
And did, yeah. on that day, that was when I think Cyberpunk and Final Fantasy was delayed and like all these games were delayed. And then I put out a trailer. I'm like, hey, we're still coming out. Like, <laughs> we didn't change January. It's coming January. And I think one person told me, I thought this was going to be a delay trailer. I'm like, no. And, uh, it, you know, what's been great is a lot of a lot of people have told me that, um, you know, don't if you need to delay it, you know, that's cool. Like, don't don't rush. Don't feel like you have to release it in January. And I really appreciate that. And uh, of course, that's not realistic. I can't delay it. <laughs> and the reason that that is because I don't, I could delay this until March and um, have a better, I don't know, have more levels and stuff. Like if I wasn't releasing on early access, if early access didn't exist, I would delay the game because it wouldn't be finished. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have all the levels. Um, but, you know, with, Early access, I'm going to launch with over 100 levels, and that's hours of content. Um, and it, like I said, it's relatively easy to keep adding. So I think this is going to be a very short early access period. Um, but it's, and, and I understand, you know, certainly I delayed the second game um, from August to September to give myself some time, not to relax, but because I literally could not release it the date that I wanted to. Like there was, it was not finished. It was not in a releasable state. And even the second game wasn't even really in a releasable state, but didn't even have mouse support for menus. Like it was so bad. Um, but I, I do need to finish it in January and we're, we're really going to make that date. Like there's no problem with that. I'm not rushing anybody else, uh, making sure my team, I keep telling people if, this deadline is not going to work for you. You tell me and I, I will push it back. Like you, you my whole team, I, I want them to be as relaxed as possible. I don't want to crunch them because, you know, it's one thing if I want to work till like four in the morning, but I don't want to do that to my artists or to my writers. That would make me a bad boss. That'd make me a bad leader. And um, I'm very aware of that. And so when I say that I want to release it in January, I, Kind of like when it was delayed with Cyberpunk, um, they said, well, that gives us extra months to crunch. Uh, that's p- pretty much what I would do if I delayed it till March. I would just be mm. crunching until March. Um, there's no end to that. You have to just right. decide to release it. Um, well, that's just the thing. When you asked earlier, like, does it feel like an early access game? The reason I was sort of struggling to answer, it wasn't because I, you know, I have any doubts about the quality of the game. It was because Cook, Serve, Delicious 3 is exactly what early access should be used for it seems to me right like it's a game right. that feels fully realized but that is missing you know the the back third of its levels or something right that should be yeah. precisely what early access is for it's just early access has this partly deserved reputation for for sometimes being a dumping ground for things that are more at the level of like a prototype to put up for on kickstarter or something right there's all these different levels of completeness uh, so when, <laughs> I don't know, like, like, I, again, I, I talked to Zach about this not too long ago that like he, he struggles to communicate that like it's, it's early access, but it's, but it's a game it's early access, yeah. but it's not bad. It's early access, but you can feel safe buying it. Um, <laughs> some developers have that reputation, you know, but it's like the, the tag itself, I think does sometimes scare people off, you know? Oh, sure. Like I was talking to a good indie dev friend. She has one of the biggest indie titles coming out this year. And uh, I told her, you're going early access, right? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not. And I said, oh, well, I'll let you know how I go. And she's like, I'm, that early access scares me. I'm really curious how you're going to, how it's going to work for you. 
Mm. And I never thought about it being scary. I always, because I saw, uh, I, I believe Dead Cells was early access. It was, yes. Yeah. Okay. And I saw Slay the Spire and all of these games that were my favorites last year were early access. And, um, you know, I I never went back to them when they released version 1.0 so much. Uh, well, I guess I did with Slay the Spire. I played on PlayStation, but... Um, or, or a good example would be Risk of Rain 2. Like I played it the sure. day it came out and I enjoyed it. And now it's fully realized and I'll never go back because I enjoyed my time with it and I don't really feel uh, the need to go back. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think I cheated myself out of a better experience. I mean, obviously, if I waited until it was finished, I would have, I don't know, maybe enjoyed it a little bit more. But I enjoyed it plenty when it came out. And I think that's the thing about early access is I am trying to make sure that if you do come into this and there's that chance that you won't come back to it, you're going to get a fully realized experience. Um, because I know that for a majority of people, this is going to be the first and last time that they play the game, even if they love it. Um, because that's just the cycle of games these days. You just play it and move on. Right. Because, yeah, because there's so much so much stuff to play you've you've yeah. talked about this before too i believe about how you used to be in the camp of, of thinking uh well, let's just call it the sho the shovel knight model you sell an indie game and then you support it for years and years and years um mm -hmm. and it's you know the sh shovel knight became the shovel knight treasure trove and they introduced all these campaigns and whatever and i think you've said that fewer and fewer indie games can sort of do that these days like games tend not to have long tails because because Twitch streamers are always looking for the next big thing because there simply are so many games to play that it, you know, you have to sort of be realistic about the fact that most people, even who love your game, are going to love it, you know, briefly. It's going to burn bright and hot for them. Yeah. And and I feel even more so now that supporting a game for that long is almost a mistake. Like, mm. certainly, I, I don't think that Dead Cells or um hollow knight or anything uh should be looking to me for advice because they're doing amazing you know but <laughs> sure. um i for me personally i can't imagine taking the next two years to work on cooks are delicious three for more content like i am fully expecting by the summer to be on my next project um and that's mainly because i i feel like th there's gonna be a ton of content in the third game make make no doubts about that but especially with a story like this, uh, with the story mode, it's more wrapped. That's more of a final wrap kind of thing. And sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing about stories. If you're telling them well, at some point they end. It, it is. It's hard to to add more to that. And it's kind of like with Cuphead. Like, I loved Cuphead, but they haven't released that new DLC yet. And at this point, I would more love a Cuphead 2. Mm. Um, and I would more love sequels more than anything else to to what people are announcing these days. Uh, like the Dead Cells team, I love Dead Cells, but the idea that they're building a team and that only makes Dead Cells content, like I'm sure it'll be successful for them. I have no doubt, but it, for me as just a game player, that's super disappointing. Like mm. I wanna see what they're coming up with next. And for all I know, they are making a Dead Cells too. Uh, but th yeah, the, the tale for games, unless you're like, uh, a live service game is is kind of gone. Like if you look at all the games, like come March, like I will be out of the news with my game. I fully expect that because we're going to have Animal Crossing and Doom. Have they delayed in March? I think they're still coming out in March. I'm not sure. <laughs> Animal Crossing, but, yeah. Doom, I'm not sure. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like th- there's going to be a ton of games. You're just going to hit at this brick wall of like um, new consoles, new games at the end of the year. Like I'm going to go into hibernation mode during that time because <laughs> you're going to have all that news. I'm going to be like, I made 10 new levels for cook, serve delicious three. Like, you know, no one's, you know, people are going to love the game, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to get me any coverage, you know? Right. Um, I mean, because that is the that is what makes it partly worth it. Part of it is making like it's it's a proposition for people who haven't bought the game yet. Oh, look, this person supports it. So it's it's going to keep growing and, and I want to support them in turn. It's a cool thing for people who've already bought it. But I think mostly the reason that it it makes or made economic sense was because gaming press to the degree that it even exists at this point, it exists. Right. But but sure. gaming press such as it is. You really only get one shot, right? You only get one launches, as they say, as I believe you said in your your Gama Sutra stuff. Oh, sure. So this is almost a way to get back in the news for a cycle, if all goes well, when you drop that content pack or something. But but you know, there's so much, not even noise. There's just so much sound out there right now that I'm not sure that always works. Yeah, like it 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 used to work. It totally used to work. Um, but now we're planning a summer release for consoles, and that'll be our next big wave and i fully expect that we'll get i don't know if we'll get the same amount of launch support that we're going to get at the end of the month Mm. but you know you always have that that big um uh, second launch kind of but not quite as big but you know you're going on three console platforms uh you're able to um make it kind of like a one more time kind of big news story kind of yeah because there are plenty of people who either only have one gaming machine or strongly prefer one over the others so like or they're waiting for like the version 1.0 totally totally yeah and that's that will be our last you know hurrah kind of thing and then from there um i think i you know our fans have been with us long enough to where they won't be mad if i'm like okay well i'm done i'm gonna move on now um, especially when the game is fully realized and finished and complete. Um, I think with Cook, Serve, Delicious 2, I was trying to get those review scores higher in any way possible. And that was new content all the time. Mm. Um, and <clears throat> with this one, I'm more confident in myself as a developer to be where I'm, I'm releasing the game and I feel confident and good in it. And I know at the end of the early access period, I'm going to have a game that will stand on its own. And won't necessarily need that two-year tale of... And not that I'm saying, you know, Hollow Knight's doing this or anything. But I personally don't have the to feel the need to keep supporting it and keep players playing it all the time. Um, because there's going to be tons and tons of content already in it. And totally. um, I think it's beneficial for me to move on. Because, you know, somewhat selfishly, I see some of my favorite developers that haven't made a game in like four years. And I'm like... What, how do you, how are you even alive? Like, I don't get it. Like, like are those residuals from your last game really paying the bills? Like, I have no clue. And, um, yeah, it's just, like, I can't imagine. Yeah. I was going to say, Hollow Knight is, is smack dab in the middle of the number line we're discussing, right? Because they, they kept releasing these big substantive chunks of stuff for free to fill out the game for, for such a long time after it came out until they had an idea so big that I believe their next game silk song started as another one of those packs and then just got too big for that and became a sequel, you know? Wow. So it's like, 
I mean, I guess that's what happened with Breath of the Wild, right? On the, on the AAA <laughs> scale, right? I, I agree with you that I'm more excited to see where something goes. Because if you had just kept making, like if all of the foods and all of the all of the levels and, and, and what have you, if you had squeezed that stuff from, you know, instead of squeezing that into what became uh, Cook, Serve, Delicious 3, if you'd retrofitted it onto Cook, Serve, Delicious 2, I just don't think it would have been as compelling because you wouldn't have gotten the new context and the story and all of that. There's something to branching out into some kind of new creation uh, instead of just sort of, you know, I don't know, massaging the one <laughs> that's, that's already out there that people like. I understand the impulse, but I kind of share your your love of, you know, going off in a crazy direction, doing something different with a sequel or just making something crazy. I think you mentioned your love of Full Metal Furies somewhere, and I, I talk about that game a lot, yes. you know, because like Cellar Door, you know, made Rogue Legacy and Rogue Legacy was great. And then they made something utterly different, and it's it's a it's a yeah. damn shame that it didn't resonate with people quite as much. Because so that a... game huge in Korea, huge, really huge. I did not like, know the that. The artist, so that artist used to uh, she did the art for Cooks Are Delicious one, and um, she ended up working on Full Metal Furious, designing the characters, and she retweets all the time all these Korean fan arts of the game, even still to this day of the four characters, and. Um, it's it's so cool because it's gotten this resurgence in Korea. You know, I don't I don't I don't I don't know how that happened, honestly. But <laughs> you see these characters and they're they were always, you know, very cute, very realized characters. But they're great characters, yeah. These the this fan art and these just everything about it, it's just so cool. That's amazing. Um, I didn't know about that connection. I, that's a research fail on my part. That's super cool. Oh. <laughs> that's super it's funny cool. because now she works in at Disney, uh doing the UI for uh, Disney Plus really and, that's, um, awesome. that's awesome yeah like hmm. just seeing her so successful she just recently got engaged and stuff and i'm i'm so happy for her oh. um and it's it's cool it's it's really interesting seeing all the directions that we go in this industry yeah well i mean that's such a good example of how you can't always predict like there's there's no way to you know aim your thing for like the the korean fan art centric <laughs> market years after release or something right like sometimes a game just hits a totally different zeitgeist or audience than you were expecting and you know oh sure all you can do is make good stuff and and hope, hope that it resonates you know i like I, I i don't know that anyone knows anything as far as being more intentional than that unless you're just fully trend chasing you know well, I know you need to get back to making the game. Uh, oh, so that's I, right. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm honored that you forgot that for a moment, but um, it's nice thank to... you again for doing this. I am actually going to probably go play more of this tonight with my wife, and I'm pretty excited to do so. Um, thank you one more time. This was super fun for me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And that's the show. You can play Cook, Serve, Delicious 1 on Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android. You can play Cook, Serve, Delicious 2 on Windows, Mac, Linux, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch. Cook, Serve, Delicious 3 will be out in early access on Steam and GOG, Windows only for the moment, on January 29th. It's really good. Check it out. By the way, that artist we were talking about uh, who worked on Full Metal Furies as well as the first Cook, Serve, Delicious is currently, I believe, going by Sarah G. I will, in any case, link to her Twitter so that you can see the amazing stuff she does and the lovely fan art she retweets. The Everybody's Talking at Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, alongside Francis Michelle Lopez and Lucio Valentino. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from The Noun Project, and you can find the show on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Breaker, Radio Public, and in a well-armed food truck near you. If you're real, real into what we do, 
and you would like to support the show, then consider checking out patreon.com slash ETAO. For a dollar, you can get the show a little bit early and also know who the guests are before other people do, and if you feel like kicking in $5 per episode, we'll actually mention you by name on the show. Thank you. I'll say some nice things about you, or, or some unnice things if you really want me to. It's, it's up to you, but, you know, kindness is cool. You can find all of our writing at etao.blog, and you can find the podcast, as always, at etaopod.com.